And I invite you to stand as you are able, in body or in spirit, for the reading of our gospel lesson this morning. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, as you've been following pop culture the last few years, or last decade or so, you see that really kind of the dominant movie that's out there now for a lot of reasons is the superhero movies. And I like superhero movies. I always go watch them when they come out. I, I enjoy them. I think they're fun. But, you know, a lot of them are just kind of fanciful stories about outer space creatures and things that couldn't happen in the real world. But there's my, so my favorite superhero has always been Batman. And I'll tell you why. Because I think Batman could happen. I'm just saying, you give a guy enough money in kung fu training, like Batman could be a documentary for all we know. I'm just saying, it could actually happen. I'm, I, I hold that out. People think I'm crazy, but like if I had a bazillion dollars and could take kung fu lessons, I might be Batman. Who knows? I got the black robe. I'm already halfway there. I'm just saying. But one, there's one thing I liked in one of the, the, the kind of the recent incarnations of Batman that I've always thought was a very powerful scene. It's when he was figuring out what he needs to do and what he needs to become and all these type things. And, and one of the guys says, you need to become more than just a man. You need to become a symbol. Because you can kill a man, but a symbol is bigger than just any one individual. I've always thought there's something very powerful about symbols. I've always thought they communicate in ways that are very powerful. We're all familiar with symbols in lots of ways that are all emotionally impactful or or that ties together. Some are just kind of common symbols. If you like sports, you know, if you're a sports fan, you know, our local high school teams, Germantown, where my kids go, on the football helmet is that G. Well, that's kind of the same G that, that Georgia uses. It's also the same kind of G that the Green Bay Packers use. You see symbols that kind of transcend any one thing, and you see them all over. Madison Central, they have the paw print on their helmet. Well, that's kind of the same symbol that Clemson uses. The Titans of Ridgeland there, they have all the Titan colors, the kind very much like the Tennessee Titans, MRA. They've got the, um, they've, they've got the little Patriot fellow that's just like the New England Patriots. You see these symbols that, 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 are, that, that all are pop up all over, but you also see it in corporate, the corporate world. You, you see, uh, if I was to say, we're going to go eat lunch today uh, at the Golden Arches, you thought of the McDonald's symbol, didn't you? I mean, you see these logos, these symbols that communicate higher things. Think of our flag as a nation. That is a symbol. That's an an image, the Statue of Liberty. These are images, are icons, are logos, are, are objects that, that their meaning transcends the actual object itself. The meaning of these things transcends this, the, the actual logo or the actual item 
There's something very powerful to me about that. Uh, it's kind of cool to look at corporate logos. There's some hidden things. Uh, if you ever eat at Wendy's, uh, Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, was very, very forceful about adoption. He was adopted himself and really, really saw the importance of adoption. And if you look at the, you may not have ever noticed it, but you look at the Wendy's logo, the, the little girl Wendy, on her neck, there's a necklace. If you look at it very closely, it actually spells out mom. So there it was, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of a subliminal messaging about family and adoption right there, even in their own logo. I think logos and symbols are, are very important. I think they speak loudly. As St. Matthew's, you know, we don't have a logo just necessarily unique to our church, but we've got the, the Methodist cross and flame when you pull up in front of the church. You see it on the side of our building. But as Christians, all Christians, we have a symbol, an image, a logo, if you will, that speaks very loudly about who we are and what we believe and about our lives. And that image, that logo that we have as Christians is, of course, is the cross. And so when I say the cross to you, it's going to conjure up all types of powerful images. I mean, we think about, think about the, 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 the beautiful power of the cross to speak beyond itself. If you saw some of the pictures of uh, the hurricane this past week in Florida, there was one picture I saw in particular where the, an entire church looked destroyed, but yet the cross on the top of the building remained. I think about 9-11, and you may remember that cross that remains from the two pieces of steel that were stuck together. We see, we see the cross in, in, in very powerful ways. And so when I say the cross, what do you think about? For many of us, the cross is a symbol of peace, a symbol of comfort. Think about cemeteries, how many crosses you see. The cross represents to us grace and mercy and God's love and hope and all of these things. The cross for us is a beautiful symbol, a beautiful image, a beautiful concept that shows us the depth of God's love and the peace that comes from Christ. That's what for many of us we think of when we think of the cross. Now, if you were to get in your time machine and go backwards in time, and go to the people of Jesus' day and to tell them that the cross would one day be a symbol of peace and of love and of joy. The cross would one day, we would see emblazoned upon our churches as the great icon of God's love to us. They would think we'd lost our ever-loving minds. Because the cross for the people of Jesus' day, was anything but a symbol of peace. I think I've told you before, my granny wanted to keep uh, crows out of her garden. So the way she did it was she'd take a twenty-two rifle, she'd shoot a crow, then she'd hang it by its feet from her tree. I guess it's a warning to other crows, don't mess with me, I will do this to you. I never quite understood what her point was, but I know one thing, you don't question your granny, you let your granny do what she wants to. But as in my mind, I was always saying, okay, she's showing the crows, come at me, you'll wind up like this. Her own, that's what the cross was. 
for Rome and for the people of the day, the cross was the bloodiest, worst, most humiliating means of execution that humanity has ever come up with. It was among the worst ways to die in human history. First, they would beat you. They would take a cat of nine tails of some sort and beat you till your back was raw and bloodied. And if that didn't kill you, they would then strap a piece of lumber across your back and they would parade you through the town square, basically, right around the main street of town, the Via Della Rosa, the main road. You would be walking, bloodied and bruised, carrying this lumber across your back through the main square of town. They would take you, usually outside the gates, to a very prominent place where you entered into town and there they would beat you some more. They would then take you, lay you upon the lumber that you'd carried, connect it to the other piece. They would hammer the nails into your hands, into your feet. And, um, and you would probably most likely die of suffocation because you didn't have a place to rest your feet. So you'd have to take your feet, which were nailed like this. You'd have to kind of push up against the nails that were in your feet to catch your breath. And eventually, with all the weight of gravity pulling down on you, eventually there came a point to where you could no longer breathe and you would suffocate to death. Now, if that, if that hadn't killed you in time, they would then either take the big club and break your legs. Remember, they would do that to the prisoners because when your legs were broken, you could no longer push up. Or they would take a spear and thrust it into your side and you would bleed out. That was what the cross was. And Rome did it to people they wanted to make an example of. The cross was Rome's way of saying, hey, don't mess with us. You come at the, you come at the big dog, you better knock them out because we're going to get you. The cross was Rome's way of public humiliation and painful death. That's what Jesus' followers thought of when he said take up your cross and follow me they didn't think about this (laughs) they'd have thought that was insanity to think about this they thought of the cross as the cruelest way that rome which was a very cruel place had come up with to keep people in line have you ever seen the old movie spartacus Think about that, how you had row after row after row of men upon crosses for the simple point of making an example for all to see that you do not mess with Rome. But the power of God is that God transforms things. The power of God is that God changes things. The power of God is that God takes this awful, bloody, terrible, awful, horrifying symbol of death And he transforms it into something that is now for us as Christians, a sign of peace, a sign of comfort, a sign of hope, a sign of grace, a sign of restoration, a sign of God's love to us. God takes this symbol of death and transforms it into a beautiful picture of life. That is what God does. God is in the transformation business. God is in the restoration business. God is in taking these things and transforming them into something beautiful. That is what God does. That is who God is. God is a God of restoration. But to the disciples of Jesus' day, that's knowledge they didn't have. So when Jesus tells them, you are to take up your cross 
and follow me, they would not have heard language of peace. They would not have heard, even at that point, previous to the, to the resurrection, they would not have heard language of transformation. They would have heard language of pain, language of death, language of even obedience. Take up your cross and follow me. They had not yet been transformed, and they had not yet known it. God redeemed it, and God gave it new meaning. And so, for us today, when Christ tells us the same as he told his disciples, take up your cross and follow me, what is he saying? He's first saying, he's saying two things, I believe. First, he's saying you must die to yourself. And secondly, you must be transformed. And frankly, y'all, we can't do the former. We can't do the latter, rather, without the former. We cannot be transformed without first dying to ourselves. God is a God of transformation. He transformed this symbol of death into a symbol of life. God is a God of transformation. But the only way we can be transformed through grace is to die to ourselves. That's the only way. But I go back to this quote I read to you last week from Tim Keller. If we're going to be honest, we would much rather have Jesus as an advisor than as a king. Because what I want, what I want, is I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to die to myself. I want to be in charge of my schedule. I want to be in charge of my wallet. I want to be in charge of my life. I don't want Jesus to be in charge of my life. I want just enough Jesus to get into heaven. But I don't really want him in charge of my life. Because he might call me to do something that I don't want to do. He might call me to follow him in a way that I don't want to follow. I want to be king of my life, not Jesus. I just want enough Jesus to get into heaven. That's all I'm worried about. It would be better than the people I disagree with. That's good too. But to die to myself, to put Jesus in charge of my life, I don't want to do that because I'm very comfortable. I like my life. My life is good. And so to give it to Jesus, I'm not sure about that, preacher. That's crazy talk. I'll put it like this. Nobody wants to get saved. Because if we get saved, we know the minute we get saved, God's going to call us to Africa as a missionary. We know it. The moment you give your life to Jesus, he's going to make you move to Africa and be a missionary. That's the way it works, right? I don't want to do that. I mean, I've still got a couple years left of my direct TV contract. I can't just go to Africa. We don't want to do that. Jesus might make us do something we don't want to do. Here's the thing, y'all. You ever, ever, ever met somebody that's been really obedient to God and followed him to a place that you yourself might not have gone? You ever met somebody that's really, truly been obedient to God? Like the, the missionaries in Africa, the missionaries in Latin America, those that are truly following God. You ever met somebody, ever met somebody that's really doing that? Let me ask you a question. Are they miserable? <laughs> They're actually more alive than we are. And here's what we do. 
We live our life doing what we want to do. We live our life living out our schedule. We spend our money on what we want to spend our money on. We use our time doing what we want to do. We are the kings and queens of our own life, living what we want to do. And let me ask you this. At the end of the night, we close the door and draw the curtains and turn the lights off. And it's just us and our thoughts. How many of us are really miserable in life? Well, Lewis Deal saying, living lives of quiet desperation. We think if we make ourselves kings and queens of our own life, we will find life, but we will never find life. It isn't until we're willing to die to ourselves, die to our wants, die to our dreams even that we really can find something life-giving. We stand looking at the door, knowing that life waits outside, knowing that resurrection waits outside, knowing that there's something better outside, but I'm afraid to open it because I'm so comfortable where I am now. I'm afraid to open it because I don't want to go through there because Jesus might call me to do something that I don't want to do. I know, I know in my heart of hearts, I know in my soul of souls, something better lies on the other side of this door, but I'm afraid. I like how things are now. What's the old saying? Better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. Maybe life isn't perfect, but, I, but at least I know what life is. And on the other side could be something completely different that I don't know that I want. But I'm not happy now because I'm going through the motions and I have just enough Jesus to feel okay, but I don't really feel alive. But I know I was created for more than this. And the only way I'm going to find that more that I was created for is to walk through that door. It's to walk through that door and find Jesus on the other side. To allow the cross to transform me, to allow me to die to myself and live to Jesus. That's the only place life is found, not in ourselves. We live as kings and queens of our own lives. But at the end of the day, we feel empty because we know we were created for more than just this. Your life is not about you. It's not. And I think we all know that, don't we? But we're afraid. We're afraid to die to ourselves. I mean, we don't want folks to think we're Baptist or anything. You know? But that's where life is found. through the transformation of Jesus Christ that comes from dying to ourselves. So will you do it? Will you take up your cross and follow him? Will you die to yourself? And will you find transformation? Because look what he's done. He's taken this bloody symbol of death and made it into a universal sign of peace. God is a God that transforms even our lives. With stewardship, I don't, I know we need to talk about money and all that type stuff. But I truly believe 
all this is an outgrowth of our experience with Jesus. I read it. I listen to a podcast. I, li- I listen to podcasts a lot when I'm walking or when I'm driving. I listened to a podcast the other day. About, a guy wrote a book about service. He, 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 he profiled people that are just doing crazy jobs, crazy jobs out in the nowhere that are essential to like basic human survival that nobody knows anything about. People that study volcanoes, people that work with meteorology, st- things that, that just unheard of things that nobody even thinks about, but that are essential. And he, he profiles these brilliant individuals with those that, that are, they call them mission-driven. Those that are mission-driven. He profiles those with that are, people that are equally as smart, but are living in the private sector, doing, making tons of money. And he says, there's nothing wrong with that. He said, but for these mission-driven people, these mission-driven people, almost without fail, all of them had an experience, probably younger in their life, that impacted them that made them want to live their life in a way that they did and, 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 and live their life in a way that is different, but that is about the common good. It's about helping others. It's about living for something bigger than themselves, living for something more than a symbol. He said each one of them had something happen in their life that impacted them, and this experience changed them. Y'all, we've met Jesus. We have encountered the divine If you are a Christian, you have encountered Jesus. And how can that not affect every area of your life? How can it not affect your schedule? How can it not affect your finances? How can it not affect your family? How can it not affect everything you have? Because you have encountered Jesus Christ resurrected and alive. This is so much more than religion. This is so much more than being a good person. This is about encountering Jesus. And if we have encountered him, if we have experienced him, how can we not walk through that door? How can we not take up our cross and follow him? Because we know that he will always, always, always lead us to life. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your power and your salvation. God, help us to live in your love each day of our life. We love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. During our closing invitational hymn, the altar is open. If you've never made the decision to accept Christ as your Lord, today is a great day to accept him. If you'd like to learn more about how to join St. Matthew's, I'd love to talk to you about how you can become a member. On the, on the altar, there are some more keys. Remember last week we gave out keys as a symbol. You know, I love symbols to unlock the door of fear in our life. If you didn't get a key last week, you'd like to get one. There's some more keys on the cross. You can get one during the altar call or after the service. If you'd like to come pray about something, we'd love to pray with you. But during our final song, the altar is open. Won't you come?